Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Anne-Marie Lockhart, and you're listening to Vox Poetica's 15 Minutes of Poetry. I have with me today a writer from the Chicago area by the name of Jim Davis. Some of you have heard of him, and um, most of you should know by now that uh, he has a book of poetry that we'll be releasing today, and it's called Assumption. And uh, Jim, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm so excited to have you talk to everybody about your book. Thanks for having me. I'm excited as well. Um, so this book, tell us, I would, you know, everyone knows the book is coming out, but nobody knows its history. So let's have, you know, give us the background or how this book came to be. Okay. Uh, it is actually, uh, it is the product of, well, there's three books in, in what I'm going to call a series. Um, they all started, I know we've only got 15 minutes. I'll give you a quick version. <laughs> um, I was a, I was a studio art major in college. Uh, and, and also a football player. When I when I graduated college, um, I started traveling the world playing football. I spent two seasons in Ireland, a, uh, a season in Spain, um, in addition to a, a number of places around the Midwest. Uh, when I went over there, I was so used to painting, but um, had no real way of, of accomplishing that. I couldn't very well bring canvases around with me as I was traveling by train and with a backpack most of the time. Uh, so I so I I bought sketchbooks and I started drawing, um, and the drawing turned to writing and the writing turned to um, this is an overused word but um, voracious reading and that there's really no other way to say it. I just once I got into it post college, um, I sort of went nuts about it. Uh, I was I was learning for the first time. I was undirected and the only the only reason to read and learn was was um, was intrinsic, you know. It was just, it was totally self-propelled. I was, I was incredibly motivated at the time. Uh, anyway, so I started writing, and I just continued to write. And having no other outlet, um, uh, I, I just kept going with that for the next, I'll, I'll, I'll say, three and a half years. Um, I started submitting about halfway through that time, using it not for recognition necessarily, but. Um, I was what I really valued um, from the submission process was the feedback. Um, I know mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was do- doing early on, and um, rejection is uh, is valuable um, if you if you interpret it that way. You know, I, I the uh, the work of mine that was being accepted. I, I tried to break that down and analyze what was good about it. I don't know if you can hear me right now. There's planes going overhead. Um, we hear you. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, you know, uh, so I just I I tried to develop formulas uh, in addition to and reading nonstop um, and improving my process and and hopefully my work. Um, and I think at the end of that three year period, uh, I just started sort of breaking. I, I broke what was essentially I hope this doesn't sound like bragging about four or five hundred poems half of which um, have been published. I broke them into three different manuscripts, and I've just been sort of touring with them and editing, editing them uh, ever since. So that's, that's sort of, I guess, where it came from. Now, um, it, it's, you know, it, it's an interesting journey because, uh, well, everyone's journey is their own, you know, so automatically it, it's kind of cool to hear everybody tell their story. But, sure. um, you know, the, the experiences that you had that kind of were happening all around the time that you were beginning to get into this particular artistic expression. 
how does all that inform what you write? Or, you know, is it is it imagery-based? Is it narrative-based? The stuff that, you know, your travels, for example, or your sports background, your painting, sure. how does all of that kind of find its way into your poetry? Um, I think image and narrative, um, without question, that that and travel, to me, are, are the same sort of idea. Um, I've, I always said when I first started traveling, like, I'm sure I'm not the first. I haven't pioneered this idea, but but always when you travel to a new place, you see with sort of um, like a visitor's eyes. Um, you'll see things that you might not otherwise have noticed if, if that was, say, your hometown. I think about that in Chicago all the time, um, how incredible this place is. Uh, and there's just sort of pockets of the city uh, that frequently go unnoticed, whereas if I were traveling, um, there's a sort of a heightened state of awareness um, in mm-hmm. that sense. So, so um, I'll say that especially the poems. Well, I, I mean, it taught me in a sense to just watch and pay attention. I think I, I think I had that anyway, but it elevated that sense. And um, it's certainly the, the travel on its own has found uh, has found its way into the work. Um, the nostalgia that that comes along with sort of being alone and and doing and being independent um, that has definitely found its way into the work. Um, I mean, an image as a as a studio artist, I guess by trade or at least at first. Um, clearly, image is important to me, and then storytelling is just is very important. And I think I've got I have lots of stories to tell, or at least I feel that way. So it's it's um, it's good to work them through this. Although the book, especially Assumption, is not overtly about that, it is certainly uh, influenced by all of it. And and I guess the final part you mentioned was. Uh, the sports. I think I've never I've never written or painted um, about football or any sort of sports. I think the one thing that might translate is sort of the energy um, and maybe the discipline that I was lucky enough to inherit through mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. whatever it was eighteen seasons of football at a variety of levels. Um, I have no issue um, staying up late, cranking out work, getting things you know. Uh, that sort of work ethic has, has I hope, transferred over, and that's that's why I think um, people are a little surprised um, when they hear that I've only been writing um, right for three or four years. So because of how much um, I've been able to come up with. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that because I think um, while yeah, I haven't read any of your work that directly is about sports, <laughs> but. Right. There is um, there is maybe an energy or a pacing to some of your poems that suggests uh, something like that. You know, I, I, I can't really define it exactly because it's not like it's not narrative in that way. But um, sure. but I could see where there is an element of that experience that has been kind of left its mark, uh, as it were, on what you've written. Now, Assumption is not a narrative mm-hmm. book, so. How how did you um, select the particular poems that were going to be in this first of the series? How did you make those decisions about what what that should look like in in light of it not being a direct linear story? Right. Um, I started, I guess, the first three manuscripts, which I essentially scrapped, were broken up. It was it was totally just it was chronological in the order of the way they were written, and I quickly realized that was not going to work because it, my brain was not flowing in that way. You know, I would grab something from, from you know, maybe 
two weeks ago and then something from two years ago, you know, in the writing um, and be referencing a, a whole host of things that, that it was just not congruent in uh, at least chronologically. So, well, I, I think it's tough. I think uh, what I sort of appreciate about poetry is that um, it doesn't always, and, and I hope this doesn't sound like a cop-out, I just uh, was listening to an interview with Brian Turner who said something similar, um, mm-hmm. and, he, and he's big time, so I, I can I can rest on his words to the point. Um, it, it, you don't have to be quite as explicit. You have to say exactly what you're you're hoping to say, um, but maybe that only means something to you. So there's an element to, but before I get into the details, I will say there's all, there's an element to this. And I think everything I write, at least um, in poetry, that is, that is inexplicable, I guess, even, even to me, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's sensations that, um, that I'm not sure can quite be captured. And that's something that I've worked with a lot with, with my painting as well. Um, it just, it, I, I'm not sure that we have, the language we don't have whatever it is mm-hmm. semiotics or the, the symbols to represent exactly what we're trying to say. So that said, um, the uh, the book leads off with a poem Ouroboros, um, that is the the image of, of the snake biting its own tail and, and it starts mm-hmm. in an orchard and it ends in an orchard. Um, the, uh, the the you know assumption does through there yeah. it's uh, it's just so it's a journey the two parts. Um, the two, well, I'll say this, the, it's broken up into two parts. The, the second part is slightly more, I'll say, um, not only reflective, but otherworldly and in, in, mm-hmm. um, almost like, uh, well, apotheosis is, is just the wrong word, plain and simple, but um, it's it just got sort of a different sense about it. There's referencing of, of Greek mythology and gods and things like that, and and things being assumed and, and assumption in the, uh, like the assuming of a position, um, mm-hmm. um, in, in rising up and the in, in improper assumptions and things like that, sort of playing with the title and playing with the words. Whereas, uh, the first part of this book is slightly more based, um, in the real world. And, mm-hmm. uh, what I, what I really did, and, and this is, I guess this translates to the way I write poetry as well is, Poetry, I, I frequently let one line influence the next, or one word, one you know, whether it's playing with rhythm or sound, um, let it influence what's coming next. And after I had sort of the skeleton to this um, manuscript, and I was satisfied with that, then I just I went in and did and did did some of that the way I the way I play with lines, um, I played with poems side by side mm-hmm. in the creation of the manuscript. If that makes sense. Um, that's that's fairly abstract, but well, I you know, but I think that abstract is a is a word that definitely applies to your writing, and so the process being abstract as well, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I think that comes through sure. in what you write. Um, in yeah. terms of the cover art, you did the art for that as well. So talk a little bit about where that inspiration came from. Um, that that painting is uh, it's an abstract painting, and it does. Now that you mentioned it, and I'll, I'll return to the previous question very quickly. I think a lot of well, abstraction, whether it's within painting or within the writing, it usually starts with like a seed. Um, so, for, for example, there's um, you know there's a a poem in the book Freight Horn. Um, I, I I reference sort of my initial inspiration um, before. You know what was there at times before the poem was there, um, 
or what was there before the painting appeared. It's it's a reference to the abstract expressions. Uh, specifically, mm-hmm. like I don't know, if you, I'm sure you've heard the poem um, by Frank O'Hara, where he's where he drops in and um, you know the painting of sardines. Mm-hmm, why mm-hmm. why am I not I am not a painter and and um, this painting is going on and there's sardines in it and by the time uh, the painting is finished there's no longer sardines but but the title of the painting is sardines and, and Frank O'Hara comes back and, and talks about his poem twelve pages of post, prose poetry never mentioning oranges once but oranges was the inspiration so he calls it oranges um, anyway I, that might reflect my process a little bit. This painting on the cover uh, is part of a 48 painting series um, of all similar sized canvases. Um, I think this was this was painting I think 28. I want to say I think it was painting 28 or in the mid to late 20s, um, and it, it sort of flows through um, abstraction. Um, Semi-realism, um, you could call that surrealism, but I, but I don't think it's quite conjuring the surrealist. Um, but it's part of a larger project is what it comes down to. And the next two books I hope to put out, um, Earth Mover being the next one, is whatever the next in this sequence is. So it's uh, the cover of that book I hope to be, if this is 28, that will be the 29th in that series of 48. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... As far now, as how do I get to these kind of poems? Yeah. Ahead, well, sorry. I want you, uh, before we continue with that, I want you to read something from the book because I totally forgot to ask you to do that. Right, <laughs> so, right. Read, read, read something <laughs> for us now. <laughs> okay. I can read a poem. All right, let's see. Um, oddly enough, I'm on page 28, so that number is appearing. <laughs> um, uh, the title, okay, this is called Reading Time and Listening to Dead Kennedys. Like the rolling tongue and something of beetles at the lamp as dead Kennedys, drooling over bad brains, claw their way into an afternoon that has lost itself tonight. Misfits evolving into a minor threat carved into the arm of a boy in the shower of an old Victorian home, rolled out before a lawn on the north side of the city, like that, and something other. Something like a tower in the distance where a man weaves a black flag with fur of a lion tied round his shoulders. Strictly polemic. Call guard and dance with me, whoever you are, to celebrate whatever this is. Call guard and press seeds into the earth with your finger like the broken cloud of desertion, absolution, provocation, angst, fight, fight, heavy breathing towers, bricks of hyperbole hypertense, neurocentric, and then the middle bit, where the town is sacked and the boy's arm is taken by gangrene, suspicious of every name he's ever carved. There is such a thing as an early grave. There is such a thing as too much of a supposed but not necessarily good thing. Somewhere distant, flat stone backs appear in the river. Incense, alone in a quiet room, Three logs tucked into a bed of kindling, wrapped in the sports section, steeping tea. Consider the pine cone, how it's outlasted tailbones, tonsils, and every great moment of the 20th century. And you, hold your breath, the struck match of a child on the outside of a pool hall window, looking in, 
calcium tongue of the hyacinth and the hyacinth planter, a graveyard of stubbed cigarettes, the teardrop flame dancing, then gone. The record, were I to have played it, would be skipping now. Those poor tapping beetles, gray and still, as if an aged version of beetles upside down at the base of the lamp where they, where they seem to be themselves until you press them, until they crush and fade to dust. That's it. That's, you know, that one is one that I like uh, very much, but it was a late addition to the book. So it wasn't it was. in the original uh, sequence that we put together. So that let, let's speak very specifically about that one poem for a minute and what made you decide that that one should be in this collection. Uh, okay, I will. I, want, I also wanted this collection to represent sort of me. Um, and I felt, and, and I have all these elements, you know, the arts, athletics, um, mm-hmm. very sort of in tune with nature. I have many cousins that live out in um, the mountains out west, and frequently I, I daydream about going to going out there as well. Um, I felt it needed something a little more rhythmic, a little more city-based, if that makes sense. Uh, I mm-hmm, was worried mm-hmm. that at, I, I might have been getting getting away from the city too much. Um, a couple of pages down, let's see, a couple of pages down. Uh, well, Memorial Day, uh, there's one called Awake from Disquiet um, that that felt very sort of rural, um, not flowery, flowery in, that, in, in the traditional meaning at all, but mm-hmm. holly, there's a poem called Hollyhocks that comes right before it as well and references yeah. to a Douglas Squirrel, two poems before that. And, um Again, I, I just thought that that's what it needed to. Uh, I didn't want to go down the road of, of naturalism, I guess, uh, at least right, not too right, far down right. it. So, so I had to pull yeah, something so back. That, that, was a little... that makes sense. It, it does change the tenor a little bit. It's a, just a different uh, tone, a little different direction at that particular point in the book. Sure. Um, now, so, okay. So you're going to be doing some readings. Um, yes. And you do you do those like kind of often I think right I mean it's not it's certainly gotcha. something yeah um, so gotcha, talk yeah. a little bit about why what what's the value in that for you um, the value in it for me I guess well first of all I just like it um, I like mm-hmm. the challenge of it I was nervous at my first few I I I'm I feel more brave every time I guess is what it comes down to <laughs> um, I think there's just something in that challenge that I enjoy. Um, when a reading goes well, obviously there's like there's a high there, you know, the way I would imagine um like a band playing on stage would feel. Um, yeah. So I of course there's those I, I want to be honest, and those are maybe the natural draws, but but even further, and this is this is a real sort of advantage of it, um I I think it contributes big time to the editing process. Um when I go to yeah. readings I usually bring about Half the work I feel maybe it's already been published, maybe it's right in the verge, or I've already submitted it. And the other half of the work is, I would call, if I had to put a number to it, 75 to 80 percent finished, or at least I'm maybe 75 or 80 percent satisfied with it. And often, frequently saying it aloud, how you know, I, I, yeah. I would imagine all writers sort of read their own work aloud at times, but there's it's different um, when I'm in my office or you know reading it to the wall. Um, I'm maybe less conscious than I would be reading it to an audience. 
Um, I see it also very clearly. It helps with the rhythm um, yeah. of a poem. Um, yeah. I'm pretty critical of myself, um, not in a bad way, hopefully a productive way, but uh, when I'm forced to sort of say things out loud, um, it allows me that criticism in a very direct, in my opinion, honest way. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I, there's a wide range, of course, of, you know, um, approaches to how much editing, when is something done, how do, how do you know when the work is finished. And for a lot of writers, that process comes very early um, or it comes after a certain number of iterations or, you know, have, everyone's got their way. For you, I think, I'm, I wouldn't say... You know, he's a perfectionist. I hate that word. I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it's. I don't know. It says something I don't think it, it's meant to say. But I think yeah. you're a precisionist, and I think that there is a very precise way these things are supposed to feel to you, and you, you work at them until they hit that place, and then you're, then you're okay with it, and then you know we, we move on. But I, in the work that I've seen of yours, and the way the book came together. Um, it isn't even as if you, you know, you never said to me, something doesn't feel right in this, let me take another look at it. That that didn't happen. It was just um, you made tweaks along the way that felt like a more precise collection was the end result every time. Sure. And I, I think that's a little bit of an intuitive process for you. Maybe you could elaborate on that. I think I don't think it's a fully intellectualized, you know, it needs this, this, and this. I think you kind of feel your way through that. You know, maybe, right. maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> No, yeah, absolutely. I, what I really like about art in all senses is that it's uh, is that it's beyond method in any strict sense. Um, right. And and I'm I, I actually talking about reading. I had a presentation yesterday about um, neuroscience, among other things, and how it relates to exercise and the body as a system or whatever. But I, bringing that up, uh, you know, the mind is often referred to as a computer. Um, and I almost take that as an offense. I think, I think the brain is sort of the final frontier of science, and we don't uh, understand enough about it quite mm-hmm. yet or as much as any people would like to. Um, but I think computer, uh, computer is just the best analogy we've got. I don't, I don't think, um, especially the plastic, the plasticity of the brain and, and how it advances in learning, I don't, I don't think there is – things are very rarely – a, you know, one plus one equals two, or a plus a right. to b. A to b doesn't always lead to c. Um, those are again, those are just the best sort of metaphors, symbolic metaphors that we've come up, uh, we've come up with. And and what I really appreciate about poetry is uh, is that all you know, anyone who thinks they've got it figured out. And when I say it, I'm talking about you know. Mostly uh, the cynics that I've come across in my life, and I, I hope I'm not being negative when I say that, but, you know, anyone who <laughs> feels like they've got everything figured out is automatically wrong, um, you know, just by putting them, you know, just by giving themselves that false impression. Uh, you just can't be right from there. So so what is right and wrong? When is a poem or a painting finished? Um, I think I think it's very personal. And you mentioned feel. Uh, it's, it is intuitive. Um I think the themes might be more intellectual than the process, if that makes sense. You know, uh, harkening back to previous poets, calling upon um, just language in general in all its facilities. Um, but really, I, I, I thought of, I, I bring this up sometimes um, when I talk about my painting. I remember very clearly 
uh, I have a memory of, I, I want to say it was like second or third grade, and I was drawing something on the chalkboard. One of my classmates, uh, you know, they were sort of wowed. Uh, how do you know to put that line there? Like, how do you do that? How do you, and and I just, I, did, I, I don't know. I didn't know then. I don't know now. Um, right. And I, right. Guess, I guess that's that's art, like, sort of in its essence, you know. Why'd you put that word there? I don't really know. That's what now, um, this is the first in a three-book series. So where are you at with book number two? Very close. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very close. I think this is the first. By, by the way, everyone needs to know this. The first conversation we're having about that part, you know, the next book and where where that is <laughs> in, yeah, in this journey. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is. I think it'll be ready for round one um, within the next week or so. It, it's long. I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need to pare it down. Um, this uh, assumption is about 140 pages, and right. this one, this one's longer. So uh, right. I thought. <laughs> I thought. Uh, so it's gonna take. You know, I'm, I'm trying to go over it carefully. Um, I will definitely need to parse it down a little bit, shave a little bit off the top. Um, but it's very, very close. I'm excited about it. Now, um, in terms of how, how did you take, how did you decide, like looking at the rest of the material you want to include in these two books, how did you decide which ones are going into book two and, and which ones are going to be part of the, the third? How did you separate yeah. that out? Here, here's what I've done. I'll, I'll show all my cards. Um, <laughs> well, there's, there's, a, little, there's a, a little more of a theme to, to the second book. I, I won't... I, there's as much of a theme, but this one might be slightly more um, surface than the others mm-hmm, in the way that mm-hmm. it starts and stops. Um, but the, to be honest, uh, everything that I, everything, well, the, the first round of edits on the second manuscript on Earth Mover, um, everything that I thought was that I that I really wanted people to see, but wasn't quite ready to be seen. Um, because of the size and the scope of the book, um, I moved it into book three. Uh, mm. And that's, I mean, and, and I'm going to try to make book three a fluid, you know, conscious thought with an arc and all that. Um, but, but plain and simple, I needed, I, I want more time to work on it. Um, okay. So it was, it was a good way to limit myself yeah. um, for book two. Uh, and it actually, you know, I, I can focus more on that now. So I think the project on its own is just going to be more successful, period. But I guess that was the, what the first round of that was like for me, personally. Now, I would uh, like you we're, – we're so out of time, work. We're so over. It's ridiculous. I would like you to read another poem from Assumption to close sure. this conversation. I talk a lot. I apologize. No, um, that's what we wanted you to do. <laughs> okay. Um Thank you. I'm going to try to decide between two. Okay, this is, I'm going to throw this out there. I have, I also, I edit um, a literary journal called the North Chicago Review, and um, we published our first issue, and we're working on issue two, and we're just like way more ambitious this time around. So we're we're kind of like calling out, um, while calling upon um, artists that we admire to to submit. So um, flipping through the current book, I came across the title on Campbell McGrath's time. So in that mm-hmm. theme, I'm going to call out Campbell McGrath a little bit. 
Who's a poet I absolutely admire? Um, just a warning, there seems to be a lawnmower in the background here. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is called On Campbell McGrath's Time. Campbell, please, take a seat. I've been meaning to do this for a while now. I'm here with you and for you. Even if I'm against your time, I am on it. Mostly because of the fumbling forward, the malfunctioning headlamp. That's the easy part. We all do that. It's the motion lights on the back porch that ring awake, uncertain what they've found. That's my insomnia. It's memory that's flawed. It's the balance of reverence and progress which shimmies through illusion. Anyone can tell you it's raining. That's cleansing simplicity. Absolution, however. As if you stumbled into the dinner party drunk, soft hat under your arm, your beard a nest, roomy-eyed, breathing sour whiskey, forgetting names, until after tenderloin, before profiteroles, you stand, holier now, to sing us a sad song with your eyes closed and win us back. That's you, Campbell, more or less, when you admit pages later regarding time that it is the house of this moment, pertaining perhaps to the trees of the reaches or the reaches of tree now skirting along the window ledge, their eventual souring carcasses. We live in it now, you say, as another sad song spins absently and you pluck your umbrella from the stand. That was great, and I thank you for sharing that with us. Um, we're, like I said, all out of time. Jim's book, Assumption, is available today. There will be announcements all over on DonContent.com and the Facebook page, and links will be everywhere. Jim is going to be posting that as well. So look for those. Um, it is available on um, Amazon already. So if you, if you search Jim Davis Assumption at Amazon, you'll find it and is available.